So I, I used to Welcome give, to the sermon uh, podcast for Restoration Nazarene Church, and, and I had where we encourage you to be the gospel today so that you can share the gospel to tomorrow. The, the lesson. And I could tell that this student had been practicing throughout the week. We'd been going together for, for quite some time, and I could tell the amount of work they put in by how they performed and understood what I was asking them to do. And at the same time, I had another student who did not practice ever, and it was like pulling out teeth every time he would come. This student would put in the time and effort, and it was noticeable, but the other student, just for whatever reason, had better things to do and did not ever want to, to practice. And so this student that, that was practicing, they, they would take what they learned and they would actually ap- apply it and grow, not because of a special talent or a special gift that they had, but because of the practice. And, and I noticed two things that happened with the student that did not practice. First, this student, he could not remember what it was that he learned. I would talk about, hey, hey, play this scale. And he would just stare at me like, I don't even know what you are talking about. And the second thing is that, that he, he couldn't connect what it was that we had talked about to his hands. I would ask him to do something. And the one times that he did remember what he w- had learned, he couldn't for some reason connect it to his hands because he didn't practice. The more you practice, the more you remember. And also the more you practice, the rest of your body learns what your brain knows. They say that it takes 10,000 hours of practice to become an expert at anything. If you want to become the best violin player and an expert expert playing violin, you practice 10,000 hours. Once you do that, you have now reached that expert status. And 10,000 an hour seems like a lot, but if you break it down to working like a full-time job 40 hours a week, that's five years. So whatever you do, if you work it 40 hours a week after five years, you now become one of those experts. You become more knowledgeable. You know it inside and out. And I think most of us can say, yeah, once I hit about that five-year mark with a job, I either got really bored. That's always me. But you get really bored because you've mastered it, or you now become the expert that now trains those other as they come up. That five year has something special because it's that 10,000 hours, but it's all about the more practice you put in, the better it is that you are, the more you remember, and the more your body can do what it is that you are supposed to do. And this final chapter that we're in a Philippians, Paul, the apostle Paul, the writer, he comes to a close in his letter. And we're in chapter four of Philippians, verse nine will be on the screen. It says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, what does he say? Put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. He says that everything that you have learned, they now need to put it into practice. Why? Because that is actually how you learn and grow and get better. It's not enough to just hear the information. It's not enough to just recite the information back. 
but we actually have to put it into practice. We actually have to live this way. And as we live this way, Paul says that we will continue to grow in the ways of the Lord, which will help us live a life that is worthy of the gospel. That's what he said in in chapter one. And as we do this, he promises us that the God of peace will be with us. And for those of you that were here last week or, or watched online, you, you, that should sound familiar when we talk about anxiety, that, that as we surrender over anxiety, the God of peace will be with us. Notice this same pattern that Paul says when we do the action of surrendering, the action of not being anxious, but in everything we pray through thanksgiving, when we actually put it into practice, the peace of God is made known in our life. And Paul once again says, hey, put all this into practice because as we practice it, the peace of God will be made known in our life. So then what is it that that we have learned from Paul throughout this letter? First, Paul, Paul talks about how our main purpose or our focus in life should be to know Jesus more. Paul said in chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says, I want to know Christ. We should always want to know more of Christ. And we talked about how knowing is not just head knowledge, but it is knowing on a deep, intimate level. It is being a friend with Jesus. We should always want to know more of Jesus because chapter 121, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because in life, and in death, we can get more of Jesus, which is the same thing as, as to know more of Christ. So everything we do in life should be done with this purpose in mind. Again, the purpose is to know Christ more. Our goal in life should be to know Christ more. Everything we do in life from the moment when we wake up to when we sleep, from what we eat, what we drink, what we do, everything that we do or think about should be to accomplish the goal of knowing Christ more. Second, he said that the the way that we know Christ more is by following the example of Jesus. Paul says in in chapter 2, verse 5, he says that we must have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And he continues by saying that Christ, we talked about this, Christ did not consider himself worthy but rather humbled himself down to a slave in order to put the needs of others above his own. So we too should humble ourselves and put the needs of others above our own. And we are to live out the example of Christ, which is also the example of Paul and other mature believers. And the more that we do that, the more that we express our love for Christ, the more we experience the love that we have now expressed and the more that we experience it, the more that we are enriched by it, which sends us back to wanting to express it more when then we experience it more and then we are enriched more by it. It is this cycle because our end goal is Jesus and we reach Jesus by living like Jesus. And third, Paul says, as we do those things, 
we keep our eyes towards Jesus in heaven, but, but we're living in the present. So we have our eyes focused on the future, focused on Jesus in the future, but we live in the present. We are not anxious or worried about anything that is going to happen, but instead we give it all to Christ. And as we do that, as we practice actually trusting in God, actually trusting that, that God is in control of our lives, actually trusting in the fact that we can rest, we can pause and know that the work will get done because we can trust. As we put that into practice, we will then receive the peace of Christ, which guards our hearts and minds. This is what we have learned. And again, the model is straightforward. First, we focus our minds on Jesus. We rejoice in him. We pray to him. And second, we, we focus our actions on Jesus. We sacrifice ourselves every day. We serve people in love every day. Instead of choosing the desires of our own flesh, we constantly run towards Jesus. These are the things that we learned from Paul. And now he says, you've learned all of this. You know what it is that you are supposed to do. So now put it into practice, which again means that we live like Christ, which is a life worthy of the gospel, a life of humble submission, which can be so hard to do in our world. It can be so hard to do in a culture that says we need to do whatever is best for us, ourselves. We need to look out for me, myself, and I. But yet Christ calls us to something different that can be so hard to do, which is why Paul says something very interesting in verse 8 before he tells us to put it into practice. Verse 8, he says, finally, brothers and sisters, which is everybody, he says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. These are eight different virtues. They'll be on the screen, all eight of them. They should be up there. And when we, when we read this list of all eight of those, we read this list of eight of those, we, we read through this verse, we have a tendency to just read past them. We have a tendency to say, yeah, Paul, I, I get it. I know what you are talking about. This is pretty obvious, pretty self-explanatory. Let's get to what we are supposed to do. He, we, we know what it means to focus on what is true and noble and, and pure. And we can take these ideas and these ideas that are true and noble. We can look at these ideas and we can say, obviously, it's a no-brainer. We can even take the concepts and we can apply some of the concepts to the Old Testament. And we can say, here, here's scripture from the Old Testament that says we must live a true life, a praiseworthy life, that we should do all of these things. And we can see why Paul would choose these things. But what happens is we miss something that would have been so obvious to the Philippian church. Remember that Philippi, where Paul is writing this letter to, they are in Roman territory. So their culture was heavily influenced by Rome and Greek. They called it the Greco-Roman world because it was influenced by the Greeks and the Romans. And so these eight virtues that Paul lists are actually direct quotes 
from Greco-Roman philosophers. Not religious leaders, not the Old Testament, but philosophers. And philosophers that, that we will all probably recognize. We've studied them in school. Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, raise your hand if you've heard those names before, yep. So they are these famous Greek philosophers that lived before Jesus. They lived before Paul and Paul is quoting them. And then I read this and I say, why? Paul, what are you doing? Why would you quote the culture in your message to the church? And here's what Paul is thinking. He, the Holy Spirit, we know this, the Holy Spirit is everywhere, right? The Holy Spirit is always working. Romans 8, 28, we know that in all things, God is working for the good of those who love him. God does not only work inside of the church. God works in and through all things, inside the church and outside the church. There are people in the world who don't follow Jesus. Did you know that there are people in the world who don't follow Jesus, but they still do good things? Have you had that question asked or, or stated of I'm a good person, I can still earn my way into heaven because I'm a good person. I've done more good than bad. There are people out there that don't believe in Jesus, but yet they still do good things. So what do we do as the church? When the church is often known, I'm not stating this is accurate, but the church is often known for stating only good things can come through Jesus. Only good things can come through the church. So if it's not Christian, then it must not be Good. So what do we do with those in the world that are actually doing good things? The answer is that there can be good found in the culture around us because God is there and is working ahead of us. So even though these eight virtues come from culture, they are still good and worthy to focus on. However, Paul doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say, hey, you all know these eight famous virtues that everybody should be focused on. Hey, do those things. He doesn't stop there. He gives you that list and then he gives us verse nine. And what, we're, what he's stating is that we have these things, but we must read it through a perspective of Christ. Our main focus is on Christ. We put all these things into practice. And when we do that, the God of peace would be with us. In other words, Paul is saying that there is good everywhere we look. And we must be ready to connect that goodness to God. We can recognize the good wherever it may be found and employ it into the service of Christ and the gospel. The Philippians could use these eight virtues and walk up to anyone in the Greco-Roman culture and say, hey, you know that virtue that you're all trying to live by, that, that idea of truth? Yeah, well, did you know that Jesus is the truth? He is the way, he is the life. So that thing you're trying to do, that, that is Jesus? Let me show you how. These Philippians could now take what was good in the culture and use it to point people to Jesus. In the same way, there is good found within our culture today. 
that we can use in the service of Christ, that we can use to further the gospel. During COVID, many people supported each other. Regardless of church, regardless of religion, non-Jesus followers were helping Jesus followers. All kinds of people were sewing cloth masks together and shipping them all around the country. They were doing good things regardless of if they believed in Jesus or not. And so regardless of what people choose to believe, there is good in the world around us, but only because God is there doing a good work in the things ahead of us, waiting for us to come partner with him and help people understand what it is that God is actually doing. God doesn't need a Christian to do something good. God can use anyone to do something good. God can use somebody that hates him to actually do something good. And Paul's message in these two verses is simple. He says that we must always keep our eyes and our minds focused on what is good. And what is good is Jesus. So we must put into practice what we have learned. And we put it into practice by living a life of Christ by finding Jesus wherever we go so that we can point people to Christ. It's not good or, or it's not just good enough for us to walk out and say, wow, this company, this nonprofit organization, they are doing some good work. Let, let's let them do their work and let's leave. It's not good enough to just recognize it and do nothing about it. What we are called to do is recognize it and then point people to Jesus because of it, because God is always working ahead of us in the culture, in the world, around us. We must put it all into practice. So then the question is how? How do we put it into practice? What would it actually look like for us to actually put this into practice? And what better way to do that than us to actually put it into practice by talking about how to put it into practice. So we're going to do something different this morning. Instead of me standing up here listing off a whole bunch of ways that we could put this into practice, I want us to have a conversation. We're small enough here today that we can have a conversation. Think of it like our Wednesday night group of, of how we, we read the Bible together, but then we talk about it and we, we figure out what that looks like. And so for those of you that are online joining with us, we're going to put up a slide in a moment. Um, and that slide in a moment, we're not going to put it up yet, but in a moment that slide will be up on the screen and it will have questions. There'll be four questions. And so for those of you online, you can even chat it. So you can put it in the chat. You can answer those questions if you want to. I'll see them. We can respond to you or you can just reflect on them and think through it. But the rest of us, for the rest of this service, for the next 20 minutes, we are going to talk together, meaning we're actually going to put into practice what it is that Paul has been calling us to do. Thanks for joining us today. We would love to continue the conversation and connect with you. Comment, like, subscribe, follow us on the socials at rnaschurch or our website, rnaz.church.